great. <laughs> it was dark. <laughs> I'm old. Seeing Red the Pod, episode 67, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm April, and with me today is Melody. Hello, Melody. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, pod world. Melody, I want you to know my foot is doing much better. (laughs) Melody was at my house yesterday, and our kids were running around, and I was chasing my kid, sort of, (laughs) and fell and totally jacked up my foot. (laughs) I will say I am surprised it was so jacked up because the way April fell was incredibly graceful, which I remarked on in the moment. I was like, wow, that's the most graceful fall I've ever seen. It was dark, listener. It was dark. (laughs) I mean, it could have been dark. Maybe I couldn't. And she does wear like a big, big puffy coat. So I guess I didn't see the limbs that could have muted some of your like flailing limbs like that's true it could have you know when you fall as much as I do you get good at like okay I'm gonna minimize the impact (laughs) (laughs) and apparently I think I escaped the worst of it I have like a compression right now and that's it I'm I can walk we'll see if I can get my shoe on tomorrow but well on the note of our children I am bringing I'm like very excited we're bringing on um, a friend of my mom's and you guys know, I love my mom. I bring her up every now and then. And my mom's an in-home child care provider. And this woman, her name's Erica felt, and she is kind of like a point person for child care providers across the state. And she's got, there's not really anything specific that we're just, there's not like a pending piece of legislation or anything like that. But I just thought it would be really important. And I wanted to, to have a conversation about kind of the role childcare providers play. And, you know, we've recorded the interview already, so I can just tell you, like, you know, we touched on some different aspects of, like, you know, the federal Biden plan. It's got some stuff. It's per- still all a workshop. So, you know, I wouldn't put too heavily this or that. But I think we just need to talk more about women in the economy, so women of mm-hmm. color in the economy, mm-hmm. and really and how low-income women are impacted in the economy as both child care providers and child care needers. And I think Erica is going to be a real way to start that conversation. So I am just excited for everyone to have a listen to our interview because uh, she's just dynamic and I think you'll all love her. Tonight we have Erica Felt. Erica has run an in-home childcare business since 2001 with a two-year break in the middle to act as a director of a large childcare center. She has organized and maintained a statewide online resource and support group for in-home childcare business owners for the last seven years, while also striving to have an in-home childcare herself and make sure that business owners can be heard. She's been a vocal advocate about the benefits of and improvements needed within the Nebraska Child Care Subsidy Program, 
she has concerns about the Nebraska Department of Education's overreach into the child care business and basic common sense regulations and requirements that the industry should have. And of course, I have to say this or I'll, you know, be in trouble. She is a friend of my mom's and my mom thinks she is the coolest. So we had to bring her on. <laughs> so That's welcome everything. to the pod, Erica. <laughs> That's everything. Your mom's pretty cool to me too. <laughs> I told her I thought we were interviewing her mom. <laughs> and she's like, no. You know, my mom, she's the momest of all the moms. Somebody, I was somebody at her house once to pick something up. Uh, that I had left at her house. It was just easier to leave it at her house. And uh, so they went over to her house. She made a sign and it said, welcome to the childhood home of Melody Vaccaro. <laughs> Tours will be given after the pandemic. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love that. I it was hilarious. She's just, <laughs> she's just such a mom. She's just, she's my mom. I love her. I love she's my mom. She's very proud of you. I, I got to hang out at the, the lake house a couple of weeks ago and she's very proud of you. So pretty cool. Pretty well, cool I love stuff. my mom. Well, okay. So Erica, we are so excited you're here. Um, I grew up in a home daycare. My mom runs a home daycare. I was her first uh, daycare kid. She met another mom in Lama's class when I was, you know, in utero. And that mom was like, oh, you're going to be home with your baby. Why don't you take my baby too? Uh, so I literally have been in a home daycare since whenever that mom went back to work. (laughs) So I have very fond feelings, um, about in-home daycares. Both of my kids have gone to in-home daycares. We had a little bit in the center. Um, and then we went back to home daycares, uh, cause that's just what we, I just love them. And I know there's the politics of the state absolutely impact uh, in-home child care providers. And it's a topic I think doesn't get a lot of airplay. I think in part because it's a female majority dominated business. And also in part, we don't think that caretaking positions are important. Right. And so we see like how we treat teachers, how we treat nurses, how we treat dental assistants, how we treat, you know, like, um, but childcare providers uh, are part of that as well. And I think, you know, I'm I'm just happy you're here and we can give some space to an industry that is near and dear to my heart. I would touch on as far as I think why it doesn't get the press and why it is now. If you look at the history of family, of childcare in general, whether it be centers or in homes, it's very, it started very classist. There was a certain class of women that needed child care during the war. Okay. And then it, and oftentimes those caregivers were women of color. They were black women and women of color because they didn't, you know, they didn't want certain people in the military oftentimes. And there was, so there was a pool and that was also only work they could get right. Due to racism. And it has been that way. The majority of in-home child care providers across the country are black and women of color. Um, you don't see that so much in Nebraska because Nebraska is Nebraska. <laughs> but, you know, it was a very white state. Um, however, the majority across the average 
across the country is um, majority, overwhelmingly, um, 70-something percent. I had it written down and not prepared, so I didn't bring the number with me. But um, And now, with things having shifted, with the education of women shifting, and more women that are in the middle, upper middle classes needing child care, now all of a sudden, what are they doing with our children? Now, all of a sudden, we need to be more involved. And then with the pandemic, and they saw it, oh, they're essential. No, the, the, nobody would be able to work. The hot doctors, nobody would be able to go to work if there was no child care. We really need to take a look at this and what's going on here. And I think that that's why it's coming around, because it's affecting white families now. And it's affecting upper middle class now and it's affecting business owners now because their workforce um whereas before it was viewed as you know i'm i was born 1970 my mother divorced my father in 1970 after i was born so i grew up in child cares for a variety of styles in homes and centers and co-ops and you know the whole 70s thing and you know and it still was very it's very much a classist thing. And I, because of it, I grew up around a whole lot of kids of color um, and a lot of low income children of color as well. And I think that that's why now it's suddenly a priority. And I think that that's also why I worry about the homogenization of it. Cause I, I grew up going to some really amazing child cares where I learned about a lot of cultures um, just immersed in them. <laughs> and I feel that that's that's threatened with this with this look at in homes the way they're being looked at and we need to elevate them as if they were not good enough as is. Yeah. Do you have any kids of your own? I do. I have I have a whole bunch I didn't birth that I ended up raising. I've had some childcare children I ended up getting custody of um, as well. And then I was in an 11 year relationship with a blended family. He was a single dad. So I have those boys. And then I birthed a child who's 24 now and I birthed a 15 year old. <laughs> so I have those two. The youngest of course was born into my child care. I was already doing it for a number of years. Um, 2006. So for five years to do the math real quick. Um, and the oldest one, I'm not from Nebraska. And I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't really understand the in-homes were a thing. My mother tried to explain to me that they were, and I was, you know, I knew everything, so I wasn't listening. Um, and I was like, yep, yeah, and so are centers. And so he went to a variety of centers. Um, and in fact, because of problems with child cares and being a single parent, I ended up between childhood illness, because every little one gets sick all the time. And you always have to leave, right? Until their immune systems get stronger when they're about three or four years old. Um, between childhood illnesses and problems at centers that I won't go into, um, I lost a lot of jobs. And so one day I'd been unemployed for two weeks and was panicking. I was on Section 8 and we weren't going to be homeless, but I still had to pay the utilities and the phone and, and all these things and food. And I was panicking on my car note and everything. And I'm looking back then, we looked in the newspaper <laughs> for a job and there were four three-year-olds lined up in my living room playing with each other that I didn't birth and I'm feeding them. My neighbor's kids would always come over. One little boy would come over at seven o'clock in the morning, every Saturday and Sunday 
for breakfast and he didn't even live in my building. He would walk from the building next door. Made me crazy. Three-year-old. Okay. Yes. Come on. Let me feed you. Um, And I got to think, and I got these kids here. I don't know what their parents are at. I don't know what they're doing. It's just, they know I'm here and they're bringing me their kids. And I got to thinking, how can I do title 20? Cause I was a title 20 mom. I was like, I bet there's a way I can do Title 20. I owned a and nail shop you, back in the days. I can run a business. You can know? you tell us what Title 20 means for people who don't sure. know? Sure. Title 20 is actually a term I've been reprimanded many times that I should not use anymore. It was used, it was used for decades. Now it's officially just child care subsidy, which means that if a family uh, doesn't earn enough to cover child care, and thankfully recently they expanded the income guidelines so more people qualify, um, then the state will either pay all of the child care for them or based upon their income, have them pay a copay, which they need to pay by the first of the month because providers have to bill from their, they have to deduct from their billing that copay. So if the client doesn't pay it, the provider's just out that money. It's a good, very good program for the parents um, there is a problem, however, if you get a raise or a promotion and there's a, like this cliff effect where you have gone from, you may have two kids, you're paying a $200 a month copay, and then all of a sudden you're off of Title 20 altogether, child care subsidy altogether, and you have to pay full. So, and that could be $600 per child on the low end, unless mm-hmm. you're going to an expensive center. But a lot of those expensive centers don't accept child care subsidy anyway. But so there's a big gap there. So my, me personally, I have had families that when they got kicked off, I had to end up subsidizing them and phase them into full price over three months. So basically every two weeks, you're going to pay me a little more than the two weeks previously. So we get you up to par with the rest of the private pay parents. Because this is what I know. When you get a raise, you're probably in debt because you've been juggling MUD and OPPD. Right. Because you're low income. You juggle things to make sure things get paid. OK, we're going to cross our fingers and hope that they'll go ahead and give me an extension because I just paid that one instead of you. And right. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a raise, that doesn't mean you can afford child care suddenly. And in fact, there's a wonderful center that just opened Bright Horizons. And that's her whole position is addressing that is addressing that cliff effect. And she's a nonprofit and does fundraisers like every other day because she has to. And they have their own in-house sliding scale. <laughs> well, I mean, it's and anybody who has been, you know, advocated for Medicaid expansion, right? It's the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. just because you got a fifty cent raise, that does not mean you can afford a six hundred dollar bill increase for right, just right. one single. But then that's, you know, that's your health care, that's your daycare, that's your housing, that your everything, everything. kind of has a cliff, uh, yeah, and it's, it's a big problem. I can't imagine what inflation is, you know, That's, doing. Yeah. With, I thought you can't, your child care costs don't yesterday. change. Well, your child care costs don't go down. No. They go <laughs> and up. And here's the thing. They, they go, go up, up too. Yeah. I, and like with my clients, I like to think I'm on the lower end of fees, but that's also why I can't do anything for my own family. Right. And my clients get it. This is terrible catch 22. They would like to pay me more. I have amazing clients. I've been very thankful right now for the group that I have and I've had for the last couple of years. I'm just amazed because years ago. Oh, but anyway. (laughs) um, And I know that if they could, they would pay more. Right. But they also want to do for their family. They also want to have a retirement fund, which is something I don't have, but I don't expect them to 
forgo theirs for mine. But, you know, I can't raise my prices anymore because they're also building their young families. You know, it's, it's a catch 22. We deserve more, but who's going to pay more. Right. Um, with the expansion for child care subsidy that was recently passed, it was initially a two-part bill. And this is where I got grouchy at because other states, um, you get paid a flat rate for the entire month, regardless of attendance, regardless of if you're mm-hmm. open or close. Okay. Just like my, my private pay clients pay me for my holidays. They pay me 52 right. weeks a year, whether I'm open or closed, whether they're fact- sick or not. Most people in most businesses, except mm-hmm. for the most low paying, like, you know, front end workers, mm-hmm. um, most people, and especially anybody, in, you know, um, in corporate America, mm-hmm. everybody's being paid for holidays. Like that should not be mm-hmm. exceptional in any way that right. you're paid for holidays. Of course right. you are. And any like, we're getting sick and having to close yeah. or needing to go to the doctor. Most professionals are paid by salary, period. Mm-hmm. So that's why they give a flat rate for um, in many states. In fact, in Oregon, I know personally, because I cashed the check, that in 1990, uh, what was it, 1993, they gave a flat rate for child care because I agreed to do it for a friend of mine. <laughs> I had to be passing through town. She's like, how long are you going to be here? I said, two months. She said, oh, good. That gives me enough time to find somebody else. Keep my kid for me for this month. I said, I'm not doing things, but long story. Anyway, but that I know, so that's why I know for a fact that this is a thing, right? And whereas in Nebraska, we are able to build, we are we are only able to build down to the quarter hour. So 15 minute increments. We have to keep, if a child is here and is picked up at 310, we charge for that quarter hour, but we're open until 530. It's not our fault they picked up early because the mom didn't feel good at work. So she picked up early at 310, too bad. We don't, we don't get to charge that. Um, it's kind of a well, the other thing, thing they have. You mm-hmm. can't bring another child in to come from 3.30 to 5.30 either. No, I can't fill like that the empty child, spot. Mm-mm. The child took the spot and there are license limits. You can only mm-hmm. have so many kids based on different variables, but one kid takes the spot all day, whether they're there exactly. 10 minutes or all day. Now, the way that they, they try in Nebraska to address that is you are to bill by the quarter hour up to six hours. Once you reach six hours, anything between six to 10 hours is considered a day and that's a different mm-hmm. rate. So hypothetically a day, $35, we'll just say, okay? Cause it can vary depending on where in the state you're at which is also weird to me. It should be the same throughout the state. Um, but so pretend it's $35, right? So if you have a client, however, a lot of part-time people I have told people, I can't enroll you unless you can commit to six and a half hours a day. And I say six and a half, even though after six is a full day, and then I can build a 35, because up to that, I have to charge hourly and break it down by 15 minute increments, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason I say six and a half hours is in case they do pick up a little early, so I don't get crossed out. Um, Because you're charging hourly $3 an hour until you get to six hours. And then you get to jump to a, to a daily rate. If they're there after 10 hours, then you charge that day rate plus hourly after the 10. And 
the bill that was that was part of the expansion for families was also to correct our billing and get us on par with the rest of the state. However, that portion of the bill was dropped because it was feared that if it was kept, that the portion benefiting the families would not pass. So what we have now is a more families that qualify for child care subsidy, but no additional providers. And in fact, every day, fewer and fewer, because they have some of the redundancies uh, that you need to do to qualify for child care subsidy approval now are the exact same things you have to do with licensing. But because they're two different departments, you get to do it twice. And some providers are like, oh, heck with it. And it's not worth it. And I'm already taking a pay cut to take a subsidized family. And why would I do extra work and extra expense to take a pay cut? And so they refuse to do it now. And my thing has always been to try to convince providers to take it. Like I get the pay cut, I get it. But the difference you're making is incredible. I have one client that lets me share her story. And I took her and her daughter when she was in medical school and working part-time in the evening at the mall. Okay. She graduated, I think it was about two years ago. She got kicked straight off. She had $200 copay, got kicked straight off. And she was about to give birth any day to her second child. She got kicked straight off because she graduated and was promised a job. And she made the mistake of telling her worker about the job before she actually started the job. Oh, telling her social worker? Mm-hmm. Telling the state. So they just plain dropped her. So I had to phase her in for a few months. I'm a broke broad. I, you know, I just reopened around that time and I, when it, I subsidized because it was worth it. Now that woman makes 80000 a year and she's very generous as, as far as what she gets. She gives us gifts occasionally at tax return time and she didn't have to give me a thing because it was really, really wonderful to see a woman do it. Like she beat the system. She did it, you know, and she has an amazing life for her kids. She can afford to take them to swim classes and stuff, things that I couldn't do back in the day. You know, so I just, it made me happy to see that. Um, it's a good program. Everybody should do it, but not everybody's going to do it. And more people drop off of it until we can get us on par with the rest of the country, which is what I'm really pushing for, for January. I would you, really love to see a bill in January go up that, that puts us on par with the rest of the country. The senator that you think um, is likely to carry that bill? Or you no. know, it's too early to tell? Um, every time I think I do, I'm wrong. Mm. I find there was one that I, I thought, yes, and then I saw other things they were doing. I was like, oh, no, no. Mm. <laughs> I'm open to any suggestions. The way I basically have operated is I run my mouth to anybody and everybody to listen because I might be wrong about somebody. Maybe they really are listening well, to me. You know, maybe they do understand. So I don't want to sound too Pollyanna about it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's always a risk of that. But that is like I feel like this kind of thing is one of the kinds of things where in Nebraska you can actually see the nonpartisan spirit of the legislature. I feel like something like this, where it's like, let's get childcare providers paid. Um, a full day's rate to help low-income families and these women-owned businesses. I mean, I could see 
I could see either political party take on a, a bill. Like, issue. It's a winning <laughs> you issue. Would think like, so. Rural but, women want this. Mm, Urban women so. want this. Uh, white I women have, want it. Women of color yeah. want it. Like it's, you know, it's a. Uh, um, so I would. I mean, I don't know who is your senator. This is the first. This is not the first time I've done this, though. This is not yeah. the first time, that, and I have been yelling about this since I think two thousand three or two thousand. Or, and I know big time again in 2010 and 11 when they were they did a, a major overhaul of some regulations. Oh, and yeah. I was like, since we're talking about regulations, let's talk about paying us. Um, and sent letters to any and every person. And well, I would say just in Omaha, we've got several women running for re-election in Omaha. We've got Wendy DeBoer, Michaela Cavanaugh, Megan Hunt. Yeah. Cavanaugh has been mentioned to me. Um, Megan. She's a tender heart because she has, um, I mean, she ran for office while she was pregnant, gave birth Mm -hmm. and then was like, basically like breastfeeding a baby and knocking on doors at the same time. Uh, She is very, very like children are her main thing, but I mean, you know, and I believe it was Megan Hunt that suggested her to me as well. She was a guest on the show first guy Omaha and I had, made a comment. I was like, so what about this? And she's like, oh, 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 okay. You probably want to talk to Kavanaugh. So. Cause I tell you what, yeah. if you get women better childcare options and you get women business owners, more money um, mm-hmm. for a fair day's work, uh, they're going to help knock some doors. I bet. Yeah, and the thing is, <laughs> and help get those senators reelected. So right. it's, a good, it's a winning proposition, I think for everyone. And this is what I know about in-home providers. There are some really great centers, okay? And just like there are some garbage centers, there are some garbage in-homes. I mean, any profession has garbage people and then people excel, right? Right. Um, which is why I'm a strong believer in choice and educating parents to uh, for what to look for, right? Um, but I think that, especially with in-homes, we have a tendency, we get more money, we put more money into the kids, because they're well, in our home. So it really just feels like more like our kids, like we need to <laughs> put that money into our kids. And so it's a win for everybody. It's not like it's, it's lining a pocket somewhere. You and know? you know, you don't want to create an incentive, right? For if you are disincentivizing taking low income children, then what that means is you're creating a vacuum of quality childcare options. Mm-hmm. And you're the saying the only. Right. For the Mm -hmm. most vulnerable kids, our lowest income kids who have all of these statistical trends that are likelihoods of their lives that we're trying to stop from happening. Mm -hmm. And and so if you're saying only, you know, out of the goodness of their heart or they can't get full pay clients. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are your only two options. People, big hearted people or people who run such a shoddy daycare, they can't fill it with full pay. I got to interrupt you on that one. No, just so I can put some clarification. There are amazing, amazing providers who cannot get private pay clients because, and that's just simply where they, where they're located at and Mm -hmm. so forth. There are some, there are amazing programs that they can't, they just can't. And, and they're not even tripping on it because it is what it is. This is, this, you know, this is their community. Okay. There were times when all of my clients were, were subsidized. When I was in, when I was on section eight, I worked really hard doing childcare to get off of section eight. Um, when I was on section eight, the majority of my clients 
were subsidized. And I'll be honest with you, the ones that weren't pay lovely because they helped. And I was very honest with them. I let them know that they were helping me subsidize so I could offer the quality of care because I couldn't afford to on only the, the pay that the state gave me. Um, well, so and just, just think about that. that like, that's all. Think about that for any policymakers, right? That might be tuning in. Like, why would somebody live in a neighborhood where nobody can afford full-time childcare? If you're thinking about That's dumping resources in, right. But if you're thinking about dumping resources in a community and raising people up, look at the childcare providers, right. And go like, this is another way of partnering with like in-home childcare providers and saying, mm-hmm. look, okay, these neighborhoods, why aren't these people making living wages when they go to work every day? Everyone in this neighborhood can't afford daycare. Like, what is going on? Let's take a look. Let's see how we can help. Let's see how we can raise up entire communities. To be the opposite of your Pollyanna, nobody's doing that. I know. (laughs) I know nobody's doing it. Nobody is saying, gosh, those TIF funds, we could use those (laughs) to build a daycare in this neighborhood so it could be a good place to live. That's what you do. That's not what anybody's doing. (laughs) Nobody is saying, gosh, we have all this pandemic money. We should do that's what they should be doing. But they're not. And then the Republican stranglehold in the legislature makes it. Sorry. So this is the go, this is the part here. Okay, so this is where part where I put in the disclaimer. On this show. I am not representing Nebraska Provider Spot membership because we have members Correct. of all political affiliations. I am representing myself. <laughs> However, it is well known that we have a lot of the same concerns, that my concerns that I'm voicing have been voiced by the membership. However, we have incredible members that are Republican and, and, and five other different kind of, politi- you know, anything you can think of. We have everybody. Right. So that's my disclaimer. <laughs> well, and we that, know in-home childcare providers, they run all political stripes and mm-hmm. people who live in poor neighborhoods run in all political stripes. In uh, Alaska, like, not- <laughs> the majority are, the majority are Republican. The majority of in-home providers in Nebraska, I would, let me clarify, I would venture to say are Republican. Um, and that's, it's a very fan, because it's also, that's part of wanting to have a provider who shares your values. Right. And it's a feeling that it centers or whatever. They may be a little more liberal. Um, and so if you go in and same with this, uh, same with, you know, the homeschool crowd, a lot of the homeschoolers, you know, um, mm-hmm. and hey, and that's, again, why I feel a choice is important. You want somebody who you want to be able to choose a child care that reflects your values. Like, for example, right now, Turkey Day is coming. Okay. I had to change the whole thing. It's been Turkey Day in my household since I could remember since I was little because my mother didn't buy into the whole pilgrim feel good story. Okay. And so we, you know, we just didn't do that. It was Turkey Day. And the day after is Native Native American Heritage Day. Right. And so in my program, it's always been Turkey Day. Well, now I have vegetarians. (laughs) So... (laughs) It's just thankful day. It's just, and and that's kind of what we were doing anyway for Turkey Day was talking about being thankful and, you know, the harvest and how the earth sustains us and a lot of, a lot of native values and going from there. 
And so it's a little more of that this year. There's no turkey crafts. I had to, I had to actually work this year and not just pull out the file folder. <laughs> um, but well, can you talk about like, so, you know, kind of just getting away from the politics a little bit, but talk about um, something I think people don't always realize about in-home daycares is, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, but this idea of homogenized care, one size fits all, mm-hmm. best practices, What when you're looking from, you know, a policy point of view, um, how it actually works point of view, like, what does that look like when it comes to in-home daycares? Um, it looks scary to me. That's what it looks like. It looks scary to me. I, um, I think it's very important when people start thinking about uh, universal preschool and universal child cares to think about their feelings they're having right now about the whole CRT thing and the whole the whole uh, physical health issues f- fight the, these different things that are going on at the school board meetings that they're very up in arms about right um, sometimes with, literally with actual guns yeah yeah um, yeah and I'm sorry. The best the best thing I saw all week was a video of the woman, the Millard, uh, <laughs> the Millard uh, board meeting who didn't want CRT because it would teach her 12 year old how to masturbate and only her 12 year old's pediatrician should be teaching him. How to oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a video of it. Oh, um, that's so this is my 15 year old who very rarely laughs. He's autistic and he's just very dry. He laughed. He laughed. He said, he said, don't you dare ask my pediatrician. To <laughs> it was bizarre. I was like, oh my goodness. So, um, yeah, I, I want people to keep that in mind when you're talking about, you know, having more government involvement in curriculum and policies within childcare, because there are some of our policies are culturally relevant to the people we serve. There are values that different cultural groups hold that other groups don't have, none better, none worse, just different, right? And I want my children to go where the providers have the same values that I do. And they are sharing and imparting those values with my children. It's why my clients choose me because I'm very clear that I don't do religion here. Right. Like I may be Jewish, but the kids, we don't do that. It's not my job. Right. That's a family thing if they want to do it at home. And quite frankly, most of my clients are atheists. Um, but we also have, have a Hindu family and, and, and a Christian family, um, but a Catholic family. And but they understand, like, I share all these holidays with the kids, but I don't share the religious meanings behind them. Right. Whereas if we were to do government involvement, who's to say they would even share all of these different cultures with the kids? Because they're so scared of, you know, they'll be they'd be scared that they're teaching wrong or they're teaching or they're inflicting religion or whatever. And there are some child cares that do teach the different religions. There are child cares that don't, the providers don't speak English, right? Or they have limited English. 
If we impose these regulations that have been discussed, if we propose these best practice standards, they will be left behind because they don't speak the language. Amazing providers, amazing. But they don't, they don't speak the language because they don't need to. They're not, that's not, their niche is their, in their community, mm-hmm. right? And that leaves a whole lot there's providers that speak Karen, there's providers that speak Spanish, there's providers that speak Vietnamese, and they have a relative or a friend help them with the licensing paperwork, right? And then they're able to take their, their mandatory classes with the help of interpreters, or they know enough that some people can read and understand English, they can hear it, but they can't speak it, right? And, and, that's usually the case. So they're able to do that. But if you inflict some of these curriculum requirements on a child here, when quite frankly, it's not developmentally appropriate anyway, what children are supposed to be learning until they're five are all the selves, self-awareness, self-regulation, self-help, self-skills, right? Self-esteem. And they're supposed to be learning all of the selves so that when they go to school, this is what kindergarten teachers tell me. So that when they go to school, they can be taught. They know how to go to the bathroom, take care of themselves, get dressed, tie the shoe, do all this stuff. You know, they know how to control themselves, how to self-regulate, how to stop when they got to stop. Right. They know how to recognize a friend is sad. Well, why are they sad? Did I do that? Oh, no, it wasn't me. Okay, well, let's problem solve this. These are things that they learn in quality child care. So that when they go to kindergarten, they're ready. So all these things talking about, we need to make sure our kids are ready. They're ready. They're ready. Let them be kids. This is a problem to me with the homogenized. When I say homogenized, they're going to, children do not belong at the table doing worksheets. I have children who do worksheets because that's what they want to do. But I don't tell anybody to come sit. I put them out. They're there. Are you saying that they're actually trying to make those regulations? Yes. This is this is this is where we're headed, and it's is very problematic when we go to some of these nonprofit organizations and do their trainings, and they talk about what best practice is, and they want us evaluating the children regularly for different skills. I'm yes and no with that. I think it's important. I do think there needs to be more education for in-home child care providers on child development. Mm-hmm. So they know what's going on and what's acceptable because you can damage a child by having incorrect expectations. Okay. I strongly believe that, but there is now, especially in um, Biden's plan that we would have to have bachelor's degrees. That's not to me, that's a marketing. If a provider has masters or, or a bachelor's or a CDA, that's, Use that for your marketing. That's, but I don't feel that it should be required. No. I, you're, that's in the, mm-hmm. the in-home yeah, case? That's something my mom yeah. has been facing as well, is like mm-hmm. these increased demands on education, which I'm all for education. Yeah. But I guess, I guess how I see it, anybody can raise children really well. You know, if you're the parent and you're at home and as the parent, if I want, if I trust Erica to 
with my babies and I trust her high school education. Like, I don't know what your education is, but let's just say if it's just a high school education, maybe you didn't even finish high school and I trust you and you have met the basic safety, um, Mm -hmm. you know, wellness type standards. Why should the state tell me I can't let you take my baby while I go to work? See, my, my thing is, so to address, address your question, April, it's um, they discuss grandfathering in people who show that they're at standard. Well, we don't know what that means yet. Okay. Who don't have degrees, but have shown that they have been at standard for, I'm going to be quoting wrong, but something like, okay. It's on, it's on the Nebraska writer spot page. I posted it just the other day um, that I believe is for the last four years, then they can be exempt from the, from the requirement of having to obtain a degree. I think it's within five or six years. They have to obtain a degree and anybody new coming in needs to already have. And like I said, I may be misquoting on that. And matter of fact, I want to, I want to pull it up because it's so important. Yeah. I don't want to say it incorrectly. Um, but they, the problem with that is, so people coming in new, I don't understand why they would be required to have a degree or even get one. Because here's the thing that I know which is that's being able, and I don't, there's going to be some people I'm about to irritate right now, but okay, here it is. I'll give you the two highlights that are real important to what I just, just mentioned. Um, Legislation calls for pre-K teachers, regardless of setting. So that includes in homes to have a BA with, with six years time to get it. Importantly, the authors know to value the strengths of the existing workforce and note that if a teacher at an eligible provider, including family child care, including the family child care provider, has been in the field for three of the last five years and has the quote, necessary mm-hmm. content knowledge, unquote, mm-hmm. um, and teaching skills for early childhood educators, excuse me, I unquoted too soon. So quote, necessary content knowledge and teaching skills for early childhood educators, unquote, they will not be required to meet the BA requirements. And then here's another interesting thing. States can choose whether to participate in this right. new investment. If the governor chooses to participate and your state has state funded pre-K already, the state will need to work towards making the existing program meet these new expectations of inclusivity of families, providers, and quality, meaning in homes to be included. If the governors choose not to participate, there will be new additional Head Start funding and the options for 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 a locality to apply to be a part of this. So on the mayor, I guess. Um, So that would be interesting with with our governor Um, because we all know the famous quote of him not wanting Obama's money when he decided Mm -hmm. that we would not have Medicaid expansion as if it came directly out of Obama's pocket. Um, Well, and he decided the Nebraska citizens didn't need unemployment Mm -hmm. assistance anymore in the pandemic. So he's not likely to. I want to note one thing I'm reading that, this is not final because this is going to be reconciled with whatever the Senate passes. Right. Should it pass the Senate. Right. Um, But this is a really important point. And I do appreciate you two bringing that up. I also um, took my child to a childcare. I don't think, mm -hmm. I'm not sure any of the home daycares we used, they had a bachelor's degree, (laughs) but 
I deemed them safe and capable and loving and Mm -hmm. great. (laughs) And I feel that providers should be, you know, more than just capable. Like I, I, I constantly am learning every day. That's I'm an internet junkie because I find new things that I learn and I'm like, Oh, I need to tweak this or, Oh, I need to explain and do that. You know, and I learn a lot. And if I have a problem with a child that, you know, is a behavior that's, I'm not feeling it, (laughs) you know, I will do my research on, you know, what could be possible causes and, or mostly what can I do to make the environment, to make my reaction, to make my, my pro, you know, setup initially minimize that or hopefully prevent it altogether. Right. So you want somebody who is interested. Like last year, I had far over 180 hours because I also had like 50 something hours from the National Association of Family Child Care Conference as well. Like Zoom was a blessing to me. And we have to have every year 20 hours in order to keep your license. However, like I said, far over 200 because 180 plus the 50 something and a quality in-home child care provider is going to far excel that because they're interested in it. They're interested in doing, but they, we get to pick and choose which ones are interesting to us. Now on that same note, there are not as many that are necessarily directly relevant to our business because in the last few years, NDE has taken over approval of our training Whereas the regulations state the DHHS is supposed to approve them, but NDE is kind of bogarted into that. And we would, if they, if, if DHHS would step up and be back in the, in the business of approving trainings themselves, we would go back to having more relevant trainings. Whenever I voice this, the response from the organizations who are automatically approved for trainings, oh, what are those trainings you need? That's not the point. (laughs) The point isn't for you to give them to us. The point is that we have providers who are educated, that we have tax experts that used to offer tax trainings. And that's an income stream that they don't no longer have because they're not getting approved. There's a woman who was doing um, dyslexia, a whole dyslexia program. She could not get it approved. And surprise, three months later, one of the nonprofits who was always approved is offering it. Um, there are other people who just go ahead and offer the trainings and, and tell you, look, you're not going to get any credit for it, but people show up to the training because it's so important to our business, even though we don't get the credits for it, but we should get the credits for it. If DHHS was back in the business of approving them, which according to the state, the rules there, they're supposed to be, if they were back doing their job, they'd be approved. We get credits for multiple trainings we attend and don't get any credit for. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think that does make sense where it's, um, I mean, it's kind of like a no bid state contract, right? Where like, you're like, everyone should get to compete um, unless it's really is an emergency. There should be an opportunity for every business to get onto the, you know, register. But Mm -hmm. I had a question about. Because now we're competing with the government and I'm for private business to be put in competition with the government. I thought there was like some kind of thing we weren't supposed to have to do that. (laughs) It does make things complicated for sure. So it's, um, I mean, one of the things that's really tricky about childcare is that, and I don't know that a lot of people realize this, but a lot of it is not like the legislation is pretty thin on what is actually the law. They move it to a regulatory body and they can kind of change it 
and there's not real you know, it's not going to make it into the news. It's gonna, It's one of those where, oh, they changed the regulation. They didn't need, you know, there wasn't a contentious debate on the floor. It was like one person wanted to change it. They went through whatever process there was to change it. And it impacts lots and lots and lots of people. And, you know, you don't want the legislature to handle the nuts and bolts of every little thing because then we couldn't have any sort of governance running. Mm-hmm. But also, and this is just really my own lived experience as a daughter of an in-home child care provider, but it has seemed to me from the outside looking in, like the regulations change and they don't match. They don't always match um, what pediatricians are saying. They don't always match what's logical. They There's like this Eurocentric um, push down from the top when really, I guess like in this, this is just my perspective is, what you really want in home childcare, what I'm expecting as a mother who's using home childcare of these state licensed daycare providers is I expect that the state has some sort of vetting process mm-hmm. to make sure that I am not sending my child to like a known child abuser's home right. who doesn't yeah, know have. basic, you know, who doesn't know CPR. Mm-hmm. Like I just, like when you get on an airplane, you just assume mm-hmm. that the pilot knows how to fly the plane and you don't have to, you know, do all that stuff and check them out personally. Like you would want a baseline, but I'm not that worried on, you know, do they have a college degree? Are they, do they feed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day or do they feed something totally different every day? Like as a parent, (laughs) as a parent, like I feel like I could make that decision. And if the kind of provider I want, there's just so many right ways to raise a child. Mm -hmm. There's just so many, there are as many right ways to do it as there are children. And this idea that we need all of them to be in the same kind of, or even to be in an English speaking childcare, Mm -hmm. like you don't need that to grow up Mm -hmm. and be an amazing person. You need to be in a loving, safe place. And ready for kindergarten. I understand ready for kindergarten, but ready for kindergarten does not mean doing math. Ready ready for kindergarten does not mean going ahead and already doing um, sight words. It really doesn't. If you speak to kindergarten teachers, it does not. As far as basic standards that there should be, right? Okay. As it stands now, there's a class safe with you right? And that's about child abuse, safe sleep practices, and so forth, right? Um, you you have to have that. You need to have your um, CPR first aid. You don't even have to have pediatric CPR, which I always thought was very odd. Um, and that's about that. And they want you to have those. I personally feel and have always felt that before you should be licensed, you should have a six-hour training on, de- on child development from birth to six years old. Okay. Every hour will cover each year. Okay. So you at least have an introductory and that's for two reasons. One, to see if it sparks your interest. Cause you'd be surprised how many providers don't even know that that's a thing. They think they have to go to college. Well, well, they think they have to go to college to get this information and you don't, you You don't have to, because see college means this means debt. And I don't care yep. that teach scholarships makes it so you only have to pay 20%. Teach scholarship is amazing, by the way. I was a participant at one point in time until life happened. And I ended up with seven children, a custody of seven children. One was undiagnosed autistic toddler. One was a preemie infant who was also undiagnosed uh, autistic and low, uh, low IQ. 
And then I had teenagers, one of which was depressed. His grandmother just died and had all these kids move into his house. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot going on. And so I dropped out while I still was getting A's, right? Um, life happens. So to require, especially from women who make their, we're in the business of caring. We do, you know, so there's a lot of our lives that tends to happen. And a lot of us are in, taking care of our parents and our children, mm-hmm. You know, and like, that's what I was dealing with. My mother passed. Um, and there's a lot that we deal with. We can't go. Some of us are single moms, so we don't have somebody. Baby, watch the kids so I can study. Okay. And I was up till two in the morning, then turning around and waking up at 530 for my first client. You know, and then throughout that part, being woken up by the infant. So, like, there's a lot to require that I think is foolish. I think it's going to eliminate a lot of people out of, out of child care. And we're already at a shortage. Right. And I think, however, though, that that six hour training is not asking much to get a license. I think that a six hour training introductory to to child development. So also does two things. It lets them know there is development. These are the the basic minimum things. And these are resources. So each training should be full of all the resources, like the link to this, uh, the CDC app, which is wonderful. I encourage every parent to download the CDC developmental app. Okay, you can it gives you things to look for for you and your kids and activities to do with them to to spark, you know, developments or noise is a basic thing, but it's great. And it can give you kind of red flags. Is this a red flag or is it not? You know, things like that, because early detection, as we all know, we want to get them in there. Right. Um, So I think that that should be required. I'm not against education. I am against a, a commitment from somebody who is running a small business in their home where they have to continue to tell their children, please don't leave your hair gel on the counter because then I have to write a two-page action plan to licensing about how I won't let unsecured poisons be out. Because Axe hair gel is an unsecured poison, by the way, I learned. Um, and so <laughs> I, I think it should be outlawed personally. <laughs> Axe is horrible. Um, Middle school teacher agreed. <laughs> I got a book texture. returned that was soaked right. in Axe body serious? spray. Are you serious? Oh, away. my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it doesn't even go with your hair texture. Your hair is going to break off. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, Erica, but, I feel like I could talk to you all night long, but we, you know, we all have to go to bed for those who mm-hmm. don't <laughs> Sunday nights. And we all got to be doing things tomorrow morning. Uh, here's what I want to ask you. I want to leave you on a final note. People who care about, um, you know, like people who care about quality child care, people who care about raising up their community, people who just care, right? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of advice would you give to people and maybe kind of like ex- just tell us what do you should do to even get started? Because you're, you really are kind of a badass in your space and you're very kind. <laughs> You know, but like at some point you got started and somebody might be getting started today. And what would you, what would you say? What would you say to Um, yourself even when you were getting started? I don't know that I ever actually wasn't doing it. I was raised by a woman who marched for equal pay. I was, you know, this is, if there's a thought on your mind, my mother would tell me, don't mealy mouth around it, spit it out. And I think I would tell people, don't mealy mouth around it. You're going to piss some people off. I have 
alienated people. And I wish that I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that we could disagree and still be civil. I'm ready. Um, however, stick to what you think is right. Be vocal about it because the people who feel the same as you, your people will come and your people will support you. And you're going to find people who can help you, who can do things that you're not able to do. I have a friend who can read all those regulations and remember all the numbers. And my brain doesn't function like that, but she makes it possible for me to even know that there's something for me to talk about. So understand that there's people who can do what you can't do and keep them by you and, and thank them often <laughs> and just run your mouth to anybody who listens. That way you will find the people who do support you and you will get the backing and there's, there's power in numbers. There's strength in numbers and there's strength in having people around you who can do what you can't do because nobody can do everything. I love that. I totally 100% agree. April. Do you have a book you would recommend? You said you were reading something or it doesn't even have to be a recommendation. We just ask what you're reading. <gasps> what I'm reading now. Um, Next, you know what I'm going to recommend? This is what I'm going to recommend. Something I've already read. I've also listened to it on Audible. I've done both because I wanted to hear the authors, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's set in Omaha. And it's, oh. um, yeah, it's Lacey Lamar. <gasps> I read this. Book. I listened. To, I read it too. Did you? <laughs> and what's what's it called? Oh, I'm. Oh, something I'll happened to Lacey. She's gonna kill me. You'll never Thank believe. You. What okay. Yeah. On my Facebook, it. and I was like, oh, because I just I adore her and her sister. Um, and I would strongly encourage everybody to read that book. I mean, there are. Everybody should, I'm trying to pull up something because I, my brain doesn't function because I'm garbage, but, uh, not garbage. but I would strongly just recommend that everybody read that book. You can get it on audible. You can get it from the library. Um, you can get it anywhere. And it's really, it, I think that a lot of people, if you're not experiencing racism, you don't see you don't know and how petty people are with showing their racism and just the dumbest things that come out of people's mouth, but it's tiresome. It's where, you know, wears on you. It's a really, really good book. I think it's a good book and it'll make you laugh too. So it makes you think it's and it makes you laugh, you know? Yeah, it definitely, so. I completely, completely, completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Um, so yeah, otherwise I'm reading hood feminism, which I've been reading for two months because I stink at reading. So I read, my, I have ADHD really bad, as you can tell by how I converse. <laughs> and so I was reading, a, I try to read a couple of pages every day, every few days, every week. So somewhere in there I read. So, because I, I like to read stuff for my kids, quite frankly, I like to read things for business. Oh, I'm reading. I just Googled it real quick. Hood feminism notes from the women that the movement forgot. Mm -hmm. And then it, the first sentence of the description of the book, a potent and electrifying critique of today's feminist movement, announcing a fresh new voice in black feminism. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. And then my son has me listening to um, Angela's. You can get Angela Davis on Spotify a lot of her speeches and stuff. 
So my 24-year-old, he has me reading that. But as far as what I think everybody should read, Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar's book. And when you catch Amber Ruffin on, on, on her show, on TikTok, anywhere, she'll make you laugh and make you think. And she's Lomaha. I'm a fan. So, What are you ladies reading? I'm nosy. Oh, what are you reading? I'll put oh. you on the spot. You did. Hold on. I'm going to tell you what I'm reading. I'm definitely reading. I just got a new book from the library. I have been reading The Wrong End of the Telescope. What is that? It's by, um, I don't even know how to pronounce this name. It's uh, Robbie Alamedin. You're going to have to put that in the show notes. Um, it's a, it's like I hit Google. It's, <laughs> the author was born in Jordan um, to Lebanese parents, grew up in Kuwait and Lebanon. Okay. Um, but the book is about a trans woman who goes to help uh, with uh, the Syrian refugees when they were all leaving Syria a few years back. And there was like okay. the baby on the beach, you know, it was that time period. That's when the book is set. Uh, okay. So that's what I'm reading right now. And it's, it, it's interesting. It's just interesting. And um, it's not so far. It's not really about that. It's more like about her, just how she's experiencing the world and, it, mm-hmm. It's, but it's good. And then the other one I want to read that I just uh, got from the library is "Anxious People" by Frederick Bachman, and that author so wrote, good. So wrote good. a bunch of like really great, funny books. Um, okay. Where's where he from? Finland, maybe the author? No, like Sweden, Sweden, Norway, somewhere he, up there his in books Northern are Europe. Funny, they're serious, they were but they're quirky. I would yeah, say. quirky. Like especially that book they're quirky okay quirky is a better yeah quirky is a better word for sure what are you reading miss librarian well i just read my 56th book of the year i am a librarian and i read a lot of young adults so they're faster (laughs) oh okay (laughs) right now though i'm listening to david sedaris his book best of me but he's a it's an audiobook, and but I don't know if I'm going to get to finish it because it's some of his best stuff, and I've read all his other books, so I'm finding I already know some of the stories. Well, fair enough. He reads all his own books, though, so his audiobook. He are does his really audio good. is him, mm-hmm. and he does that dry, timed wit, and so when he reads them, he knows exactly how it's supposed to be, and they're mm-hmm. it's perfect. The cadence mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you so much for coming on, Erica. This was fantastic. I thank you guys for having me. And I gave me stuff to think about. Yeah, see, she's yawning. See, now I <laughs> <laughs> always yawn. But I, I appreciate you guys having me and giving us a little bit of a voice. We very rarely, as in home child care providers, get a voice anywhere. So, and I think that's probably why I yell a lot. <laughs> I want well, to be if heard. Something starts moving in the legislature, or there's a new regulation you want to squawk about. Let's talk Definitely. about it, man. I, th- I have a funny feeling that at the very beginning of January, you will be hearing me yelling. And I would love to come on here and lower my voice and be civilized. Yay! <laughs> so thank you so much. And you guys have a new fan. I would definitely, I need information to share it so I can share with people and 
I think you guys have a voice and that you lend yourself for others to have voices that need to be heard. And that's everything. I think that's fantastic. That's our hope and our goal. So you're doing it. I like that. Thanks. You guys have a really good night. Thank you again for having me. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.